Hello friends, we're here for the midweeks. I'm welcoming you back. I'm not sure if you noticed it, but those were pre-recorded uh, the last few weeks. I'm just back from some holidays. It was really good, and I'm really grateful to the Lord. But uh, one of the things I'm really grateful for is to be coming back and just walking through the book of Kings with you. This is such a delight for me. Just to process the Bible with you, process these stories from the Old Testament, want to understand them, want to meet with God in them. And so thank you for coming along on this journey. And I'm, I'm getting my mind back into gear here. It's a pretty long break since I did one of these things, and so it does take a little bit to get back in the saddle and your, your feet in your stirrups and all that stuff. So, uh, But we're going to pick this up. So this is chapter 14, and this chapter is going to conclude the reigns of two kings that were reigning at the same time. The first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam in the southern kingdom and um, we're going to have a longer story of Jeroboam that's mostly going to be a prophecy of destruction against his household and then we're going to hear about the end of the reign of Rehoboam which is mostly about his his uh, decline of influence in the world and both of these kings are um, suffering for their unfaithfulness to the Lord we're going to just see through the rest of this story that if the king is faithful to God, uh, particularly in getting rid of idols and in uh, emulating, I- imitating David's faith in God and uh, clinging to God's word, though, then there, things will go well with them. Most of the kings don't. And so this is kind of the standard. David's faith in in God and his like willingness to live before God is the standard that kings are measured against, as well as whether or not they permit or destroy idols, as well as whether or not they hold fast to the law of Moses or they reject it. Without further ado, let's get into the situation here with Jeroboam. Chapter 14, starting in verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Uh, Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what shall happen to the child. All right, so here we have uh, this weird situation here. So Jeroboam's son is sick, obviously a prized son. Maybe he's the firstborn. No, he can't be because he's a child here. Whatever. Maybe he is. Um, And Jeroboam wants to hear from God. And yet he's going to send his wife in disguise. So Jeroboam definitely has a broken conscience here. He, He knows in his heart that there is such a thing as a true prophet. And he wants to hear from a true prophet. The one who prophesied that he would be king over the people. And yet his heart has struck him. He knows he's not being faithful to the Lord. So he sends his wife secretly. And you know that he sends her with a gift. It was, it was customary sometimes to come with a gift to the prophet. You might remember that when um, Saul went to go visit. Uh, oh, what's his name? That first prophet from the book of Samuel. Uh, when Saul went to go visit Samuel, he wanted to bring a gift to Samuel. And so this was customary. Um but you can tell that there is a broken conscience here because he wants to hear from a true prophet, but he's 
wants to hide the fact that he's seeking it out by having his wife uh, disguise herself. And, and there's, again, there's this sense of the stupidity of sin here. Because if it's a true prophet, how are you supposed to deceive him? You're looking from the truth from God through deception. Like, this doesn't make any sense on paper. And yet, in their minds, they it makes sense to them that they could manipulate the living God. In their heads, they think they can do this. And so this is, again, a, a, a little scene that reveals the heart of this king. He's so deceived, he thinks he can deceive the living God. Anyhow, verse 4, Jeroboam's wife did so. She rose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. And thus and thus shall you say to her, when she came, she pretended to be another woman. So we'll stop there. Now there is going to be another story coming up just with um, Elisha, where Elisha is also going to not be able to see. He's going to be blind, but also because he's a true prophet, he's going to be able to see what's going on and prophesy accurately. And so this is a bit of a, a trope, a recurring thing where God's prophets can't see in the flesh, but they can see in the spirit because they are true prophets. And I think this may even connect a little bit with at the end of Genesis, um, uh, not Joseph, but Jacob. He can't see anymore, but he can still prophesy over his sons. And so this happens a few times in scripture where somebody's blind, but they can see. And so here we have the same situation here that, um, and, it, and it's kind of, again, so ironic that the woman is pretending to be somebody else when the prophet's already blind. She doesn't need to dress up as somebody else, you know. That's what he says, right? Disguise yourself. You don't need to disguise yourself. She, he's blind. But he's going to pretend to be another woman. And so she's going to introduce herself. And so you've got almost this little trick, uh, kind of like maybe what, uh, with, what Jacob did to his dad, uh, hoping to get away with it. But this is a true prophet who God talks to. And so God's already given a message before she arrives. Verse 6, But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I'm charged with unbearable news for you. All right, now, now we're going to get a judgment oracle against Jeroboam. And essentially, this is going to be like an undoing of God's promise to Jeroboam. When Jeroboam came in, God promised to treat him as well as he treated David if Jeroboam would be faithful. And because Jeroboam hasn't been, there's this judgment oracle against the house of Jeroboam that's going to be laid out here. So you're going to hear David compare, Jer sorry, going to compare uh, Jeroboam to David and how he failed there that he wasn't faithful to the Lord but went to idols and uh, so this is what the scenario is going to be but the, in the big picture here God is showing that his prophets are going to be the rulers over who's king or not and that the standard is going to be a comparison to David and that entire households will get wiped out for their lack of faithfulness. And what this really does is it sets us up theologically for the exile that will happen near the end of the book. That persistent uh, faithlessness to the Lord results in exile. Um, so here we go. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David. There is a key line. Are you like David, O king? 
who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourselves other gods and metal images, also a key factor in the evaluation of kings, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burnt up dung until it is gone. Okay, so you've made yourself a piece of crap in my sight, and I'm going to treat you like that. That's what God's saying. And you can just hear that evaluation. Are you like David? Are you an idol worshiper worshiping the true God? And he failed completely in these things, and so God is going to remove him from the history of Israel. Verse 11. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. So this is back the prophet talking to the wife of Jeroboam. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. All right, so very uh, intriguing situation here with Ahijah. I think that's his name, if I remember right. This child, um, God likes this child and because of that he's going to get a funeral god is angry at the rest of the house of jeroboam and because of that none of them will get funerals they'll die in the city and be eaten by animals they'll die in the field and be eaten by animals but only this son is going to get a proper burial and i could be wrong here but this just reminds me remember the book of kings started with god loving solomon and because he did he established his kingdom um, in the midst of political turmoil and Jeroboam's household is so much worse than David's that when God loves one of the sons of the king, he gives him a funeral instead of letting all of letting him be eaten by wild animals out in the field. And so you can just see this comparison that when God finds something pleasing in Ahijah, he strikes him with sickness, which isn't great, but he lets him at least have an honorable funeral, an honorable death. That's as far as it gets with with God being pleased with somebody when things are so bad here. Whereas with Solomon, God's pleasure in Solomon meant he established his kingdom. All right, so you're meant to, I think, see like this, again, sense of irony here that, that things are so bad here that a blessing just means you get a funeral after dying from sickness instead of actually having God work with you in your life to do something good. So very ironic, really tragic in that sense that this is as good as it's gotten in Jeroboam's reign. <laughs> the, the, the best thing that happens to Jeroboam is one of his sons gets a real funeral. It's really tragic, but a sign of how bad things are. Okay, verse 14, moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their ashram provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. So you have this pronouncement here of a king who's going to be, replace uh, the house of Jeroboam, but this king isn't prophesied that it's going to be a good faithful king. The, the 
prophecy is just that it's going to remove Jeroboam. So it's really, again, a sense of tragedy here that the next generation of kings isn't even prophesied that they're going to be any good as far as being faithful to the Lord. They're just going to be really good at killing Jeroboam's offspring. And then there's this prophecy about an exile here that isn't even an exile with return like it's going to happen with the house of Judah. Just this removal of the northern kingdom beyond the Euphrates because of their idolatry. And of course, um, you might have heard before that many of God's prophecies are contingent to people persevering in their direction they're going. A prophecy of blessing is often contingent on pursued faithfulness, and a prophecy of destruction can be repented of. If there's a real repentance and turning, it can get delayed or it can be totally ignored. And so you have this prophecy here of a continuation. If there's a continuation where they're going, God's going to just completely remove this kingdom, which is what happens eventually. But uh, even just the first king is so bad that God's planning on removing the entire kingdom. Verse 17, Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah, and as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Okay, so this prophet's prophetic word is established immediately upon the return of Jeroboam's wife. And so all the prophecies and that complete evaluation of Jeroboam is uh, vindicated and justified because of the fulfillment of the child's death and the burial there. Verse 19, Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, but the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years. And he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. Okay, so you get this um, summary here as well, that the rest of these acts are chronicled elsewhere. And it's a good reminder that the book of Kings isn't a comprehensive history. It's not like the history of Rome in 18 volumes or something like this. It's a prophetic, theological uh telling of the history of the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom just through like a faithfulness lens and so the the prophetic author who's compiling this and writing this is very honest that he's being super selective in what he chooses to present to us uh, because he's trying to tell a specific story and that specific story is how come we went from solomon the greatest king in his age to exile and should we have any hope and is this the lord's fault or is this our fault you're trying to tell a prophetic story so that the people of god can understand um, where they're at interpret their history correctly walk with god in faith and so when you have these summaries of reigns and it says the rest of the acts all these other things that kings care about their wars and their buildings and stuff are recorded elsewhere it's just a good reminder that we're getting a selective history but that the bible's being honest that it's a selective history it's not being deceptive in it that it has a particular viewpoint and a particular perspective okay verse 21 we're going to switch over to rehoboam now now rehoboam the son of solomon reigned in judah that's the southern kingdom Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, in the city, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, and put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. So we get reintroduced to Jeroboam, and we're reminded that 
he is the son of Solomon. We're reminded that he's reigning out of the Lord's chosen city there in Jerusalem, which is a good thing. But then we're also told that his mother was an Ammonite. And that reminds us that Solomon's heart was led away from the Lord through his love for foreign women. And the Ammonites were particularly gruesome in their worship of their gods. Um, and so this, this is a sign that Rehoboam is likely influenced by his mother in a poor direction. And then we'll see how his reign unfolds. We already know through that like really tragic, unwise decision to provoke the people. He lost most of the kingdom. And now we hear about some of the other things that happened. Verse 22. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so right away there, you know, it, this is is bad. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram and every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. And so this is particularly grievous to the Lord that there would be this uh, cult prostituting, um, this like worship that includes homosexuality. This is a sign of like a really entrenched paganism in Israel. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Verse 25. In the fifth year of the king Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the doors of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. All right, so a few things going on here. So this is a story that tells us about the decline of the kingdom. They still had all these treasures that Solomon had amassed, but the king of Egypt comes against Jerusalem and again Egypt is famous for being the place that the Lord destroyed in order to set the Israelites free and now the king of Egypt is coming to the promised land to actually take away the treasures that God had given to Israel during the reign of Solomon and so again there's almost this like theology of like okay if you want to live like the nations then you're going to end up serving the nations and I think that 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 is a true theology comes up in uh, judges quite a bit and so as king rehoboam serves the idols of the nations that then a nation comes against them to dominate them and what it looks like is that solomon um, saw this army of egypt uh, coming against jerusalem and bought them off with all this gold took the gold out of the lord's house and his own house and these shields and just gave them all this treasure and said leave me alone we'll we'll submit to you um and so it doesn't, there's no record of a battle, but it looks like they just bought peace with all their treasure. And then you have this sign of like the gold of Israel being replaced with bronze. And every time the king came out and he's got these guards with bronze shields, it's actually a sign of his unfaithfulness to the Lord and that they were conquered in battle. Verse 29, now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was named the Ammonite, and Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, so you have that, those bookends. 
You have that inclusio of the the statement that his mother's name was Nama the Ammonite. And again, for me, that's a great sign that part of the explanation here is that Rehoboam has been trained um, spiritually by his mother and not spiritually by his father. You know, his father fell away, but he hasn't actually, he wasn't like brought up into the faith of David and the faith of Solomon in his early days. He was brought into the faith of his mother. And because of that, he, he, caused to proliferate the worship of idols in Israel, which welcomed God's uh, punishment through being conquered by a foreign army, despite the fact that he's in the Lord's city, that he's in the city of the of, of David. He's got the temple right there. And because of this, he has no peace. He's got constant war with Jeroboam. He doesn't, he doesn't win any battles. It's just like on and on war. And so for me, this is just a good reminder. You know, the most important thing in life is being faithful to the Lord. This is why we exist, to be in a trusting relationship with the Lord. And there are consequences in history to being unfaithful to him. Um, and they're disciplines sometimes. Sometimes they're full, full-blown judgments like with Jeroboam. But we're meant to excuse me, read these stories and humble ourselves and turn afresh to the Lord through Jesus Christ. And just remember that there's so much blessing in Jesus. Ephesians starts off by saying that we've been blessed in every way in the heavenly places through Jesus Christ. And that's true. But when our hearts turn away from God, there is every kind of uh, trouble, every kind of suffering available to us when we come out from under God's covenant blessing out of relationship with him. And even if you've got a strong spiritual heritage like Rehoboam did, if you listen to the wrong people, it can all be lost in a generation. And so it is our responsibility, each generation, to remember what we have and to treasure our relationship with the Lord, to treasure his word and want to live faithfully according to his word, to treasure um, our heritage and faithful people and want to imitate their living faith that God says he loved and to be a faithful uh, follower, whether we're a king or we're just ruling over one single bedroom somewhere because we're young it's our job to make it a place where the lord is worshiped starting in our heart and amen